perhaps a new opportunity, a new job came along and they decided to take it because it was closer to where they grew up or family and friends. For others, the retirement offers that opportunity. Once you're retired, I guess you could move anywhere that you wanted to. And that would also mean moving back to where you came from because that's where your roots are and your family and friends are from. Now, regardless of what the situation is, what transplanted people feel is no different than the people of Israel felt during their time in exile in Babylon. That's where the sermon comes from. For example, the Babylonians came, about, came, along, came along. They were the superpower of the time. And they came into the city of Jerusalem and that just leveled it. Including destroying the temple where God had put his name and promised to be with the people of Israel. And the Babylonians came along and killed thousands of people. Took the best of the best, the elite, into exile. And left the poor people back in Jerusalem because they didn't want them. And so those taken into exile included the king himself and his mother who was the queen at the time. The elders who served as advisors to the king in the palace. Priests who served in the temple. Prophets who brought God's word to the people and skilled people like craftsmen and artisans. As in any war, many, many may have lost family members and friends. That's common in any war. Moreover, those in exile had lost property and land that were vital for their livelihood. Furthermore, in the exile in Babylon, they no longer had the temple in which to worship or to offer their sacrifices to God. For the people of Israel, the temple in Jerusalem was a big deal. God had put his name and resided there. As a result, their identity and security as God's people were tied to that temple in Jerusalem. All of that is gone. And here's another thing, as prisoners of war in Babylon, they may have also been persecuted, used as slaves, tortured, and some even killed. Those are some things that happen to transplant, not necessarily in that scale, as we see here in Israel. But those things do go through the minds of transplanted people. But interestingly, it was under these devastating, despairing conditions that God comes along and speaks to them through his prophet Jeremiah. Asking them to engage in the city in which they were currently residing. And we read about it in Jeremiah chapter 29. So that's, what, that's the sermon text this morning. So if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you're using the church Bible, the bun in blue color which you picked up in the shelves, you will find that on page 833. Jeremiah chapter 29. We are going to look at about four verses this morning. Jeremiah 29 on page 833. 
And we want to begin with words for. And so here God speaks to a transplanted people who were reluctant. They, don't, they, didn't, they didn't like to be there. They were reluctant to get involved. And they were looking for opportunity to get away from as quickly as possible from that place. And God's speaking to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it, its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now as I was studying this, uh, this passage for the last uh, week or so, I found three ways by which the Israelites in exile, and by implication, transplants like us are to engage in a city in which we currently live. And here's the first down. Put down roots in the city. Put down roots in the city. I find that in verses 5 and 6. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You see, in the ancient world, building houses, building a house meant you're saying to yourself, I am putting down roots in this place. In the ancient world, a house represented a permanent structure as people invested their life savings to build it. Furthermore, the ancient passed on their homes from one generation to the next. Meaning what they are saying to themselves is, I'm not only putting my own roots down in this place, but also the roots of generations to come. Now, this is unlike what we do today, so it's kind of hard to get a feel for this. Because today we borrow money from the bank, and therefore the bank owns our homes. We sell them when we relocate and add, add to them when we need more room or demolish old homes and build new ones, you know. So it's hard to kind of even get a feel for what was happening in the ancient world. But here's the point. It was not only true in the ancient world. It is true in many parts of the world, even today. And I have a picture. This is Jem's ancestral home in Sri Lanka that she visited this past summer, so she brought a picture of it. It's called the Snell House, S-N-E-L-L. -L. That's her dad's name. That's their ancestral name. She was Jem Snell before she married me. Now she has a longer name. So that's called a Snell House. 
They would never demolish that house. First of all, they don't have the resources to demolish that and build another one. And moreover, it's passed on from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, and it will go on for many, many, many generations to come. Now, Jem's brothers jointly owned that home. And we'll go on from there. That's what was happening. So when you put down a home, it is a permanent structure. Unlike we see in this country, we don't demolish them. And we are there not only ourselves, but for many, many generations to come. That's what I mean by put down roots. God is saying that when he says, build houses. Now plant gardens and eat their produce, call the Israelites to be productive citizens in that city. Because, you know, the, the thing that they could do is to sit down there and poor me syndrome, you know, I'm poor me, I have, you know, I have been displaced, I was brought into this city and you know, I don't like it, you know, and it's cold winter, whatever, right? But God says, no, be productive citizens in that city. In today's language, we would say, find a job. Because in those days, they did farming. But today, find a job, earn a living, provide for your family, contribute to the, by paying taxes probably, contribute to the economy of the city. And if you have all of those things done, then they are putting, you're putting down roots in that city. And third, God says, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Now the phrase here, multiply there and do not decrease, are covenantal words. God first spoke to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. Then renewed it with Noah after the flood. Having destroyed everybody else, God renewed that covenant with Noah. And then again to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and 15. And so, so when I say covenantal word, it's from Adam to Noah to Abraham. And the seed of Abraham must increase and not decrease and continue according to God's promises. Now the question that comes up is that, well... That the covenant that was given to the Jewish people, it was given to Adam, it was given to Noah, it was given to Abraham. Does it apply to us today? And my answer is, yes it does. And here's the reason why. Galatians chapter 3 verse 29, it's a New Testament book. The apostle Paul writes, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's Offspring is according to the promise. So what God's saying here is that, you know, by talking about the houses, talking about, you know, being productive and talking about, you know, uh, getting married, having children and having your children get married and all of that, all of that is to say, put down roots in the city to which God has sent you. And you need to know, even if you are a transplant, myself included, that God has sent us here. Because if you don't feel that, we are always at a distance. No, you know, I'm out of here as soon as an opportunity comes my way. 
Now, I know, I'm going to tell you three things, but of the three, this is one of those I think we have all done well. Let me affirm that. Because I know some of you came here as singles. You met your mate. You married here. You bought houses. You are employed. Your, your children are married, and they're settled down. So, for example, I'm, I'm right now, in, instantaneously, I'm thinking about a family that came from Pennsylvania. They're not from Midland, Michigan. But their children are settled here. This is something that we have done well. So I want to affirm you and tell you some examples from my own family to drive this point of the need to put down roots in the city to which God has sent us. That is, whether it's Midland, Tri-City area, Bay City, whatever, here it is. As you know, Gemini, obviously, we are from Sri Lanka. So that's a far away place. But here in the United States, Gemini moved to Boston, Massachusetts area three months after we got married. And so as a couple, as a family, that's the only town that we had known for 18 years before we moved to Midland, Michigan. Both of our daughters were born there. We had lots and lots of friends. There's a large Sri Lankan community that's there, even to this day. So when God was prompting us to move to Midland, Michigan, this is something that we did not take lightly. We had to wrestle with this question about, is God, is, is God in this move? Is he directing us to Midland, Michigan? Would this be home? Can we put down roots? Without ever wondering, like transplants, well, as soon as we get an opportunity, we would be someplace else. And two years ago, this became even more real. Jim's mom passed away. Her husband is buried in Sri Lanka. And the extended relatives are buried in Sri Lanka. In fact, we grew up in an Anglican church and next to it was a cemetery. That's where she needed to be. And we said, no. Midland, Michigan is home. She lived here for about nine years. And so, there she is. If you go to Midland, Michigan Cemetery, that's where she is. Our older daughter, Adina, got married and settled down in Michigan. They're in the Detroit area. Now we have granddaughter. Michigan is home. In fact, the, the picture that you see on the right, they have visited here, by the way. So this was Father's Day in June. Granddaughter you know, was acting up in the worship service, so the son-in-law decided to take her out in the fire. And she sat there, she saw me on TV, preaching. And she sat there the whole sermon. She kept saying to her, hi, hi. And he took a picture of this. How can he leave cuties like that and move someplace else? 
In a sense, that's what God is saying here. And moreover, for my daughter, Adina, and, and great-granddaughter, Lily, her name, there's a gravesite in Midland, Michigan. In fact, every time that they come to Midland to visit us, that's one of the places that they stop by. That's what it means to put down roots in the city to which God has called us. Then, we have this passion, this drive, this desire to get engaged in the city. In fact, for the Jewish people, actually, God kept them there for about 70 plus years. That's about, in those days, about two generations. So that's the first point. Put down roots as a way to engage in the city to which God has called you. Second, God says, pray for the city. I, found, I find this in verse 7, in the middle of it. I'll read the whole verse, and then we will, uh, I have highlighted, pray to the Lord. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, as I had said before, for the Israelites, their identity as God's chosen people was tied to the temple in Jerusalem. They worshiped God and offered sacrifices there. Now the temple is gone. They had no place to do any of those in Babylon. Furthermore, being in exile in Babylon thousands of miles away from their homeland, Again, no access to the temple, nor a place to offer their sacrifices to God. You see, a modern-day example might be, I know some of you from the Dow Chemical Company have been transferred to Saudi Arabia. There are strict rules about what you can and cannot do. There's a compound for expatriates. It's a very similar situation. Here we are free to worship. Anywhere, any place, anytime, whatever way we want. And that was them. So what did they do? And it's found in Psalm 137. And look at this, Psalm 137. I'm going to read only a few verses from that. This is their reflection on what they did in Babylon, in exile. By the waters of Babylon, where we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required us to, required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What do you see? Kind of a poor me syndrome. 
You see, let's say your, your home is in, in fire, on fire. What's the first thing that you will rescue? What's the first property that you will run after? The re- there's a reason that I'm asking, is it your computer? There's a reason that I'm asking, because you know what happened? The, the Babylonians come in and destroy the whole place and kill people and all of that. But somehow these musicians, these worship leaders, were able to take their musical instruments with them. That's how much they valued. But then they get there, they couldn't sing. Because they remembered their home. But what an opportunity, think about it, what an opportunity. Here are the Babylonians, the pagans, come and ask, sing one of your songs that you sing to your God. What an evangelistic opportunity. They wouldn't sing. They couldn't sing. Moreover, in verses 8 and 9, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he, he who pays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Cursing people. You know, in every city there are good things and bad things. I don't know if you ever found yourself cursing Midland or not, or, or Bay City, or whatever where you are living, and always complaining about the things that are wrong. Instead of looking for opportunities to be God's people in the city to which that God has called us. And you see, there's a, there's a group of people here in Babylon who are saying, poor me, and cursing their, their, their city and the people who live in them, even when they were asking for, for, for them to witness to them. What does God say? But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. God is saying, I have a plan. That's why I brought you here. And one of the things that God asked them to do is to pray. So here's my question. Let me ask you this question. I had to wrestle with this myself. Have you been praying for the city in which you currently live? Think about it. Praying for the city, I don't mean buildings. People. Government officials. Now, here's another maybe show of hand exercise. How many of you walk or run through your neighborhood for exercise? Okay. Good size of you. If that's so, prayer walking or prayer running, whichever might be, is actually for you. How many of you have heard the phrase prayer walking? All right, so you know what it is. Now, this is, this is something that you don't have to do, this, but uh, raise your hand. But how many of you have actually done prayer walking? Perhaps during a short-term mission trip somewhere overseas. 
we spend all of that money to go overseas and, and prayer walk, why wouldn't we do that right here in the city in which that God has placed you? That's the question. And especially if you're running or uh, in a walking for exercise, why not make that as a prayer walk? Off and on, I have told you that here at Midland Free that I meet with a group of men uh, to Bible study and prayer and accountability as we are trying to encourage one another to become disciple makers. So one of the lessons in the curriculum that you are using is about prayer walking. And they make a case, it's biblical. I have put some questions in the life group uh, this week and you can take a look at those. But what they're asking is, choose your neighborhood or wherever and then walk around and see what's happening, who the people living in that neighborhood and perhaps catch up some casual conversations and find out what's going on in their life and, and then you can pray intelligently. In fact, in that lesson, they tell a story of a church in California. They didn't name the church, and therefore I don't know which church is it. I'm just going by the, what, what was said in the curriculum. They chose to prayer walk as a church, a neighborhood that had 160 homes. And so here's what they, what they did. It's very interesting. They said, we are going to prayer walk 80, 50% of those households. So they prayer walked 80 households and left the other 80 not prayed for. I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. And after prayer walking for a period of time, they decided now it's time to go and make contact with the people in the, who lived in those homes. So they went to the homes where they, they had done the prayer walking, 80 of them. Eight out of 10 households, that is 80% of the households, invited them in. Basically, they said, hey, hey, we are from this particular church. Can we pray for you? Da, da, da. And they invited them into their home, sat down and had a conversation, and allowed them to pray for them. And the 80 homes that were not prayed for, two out of 10, 20%, invited them in. The other eight basically chased them out. You see, my friends, prayer works. Prayer walk works. So the question is, how do we become a church that prays for its city and its people? And in their book, The Externally Focused Quest, Becoming the Best Church for the Community, they put the for in capital letters. Eric Swanson and Rick Russo provide some answers, and here they are. They compare the two different kinds of churches, a church that's focused on itself and a church that's focused on its city. And here's what they say. A church that's focused on itself, the prayer is mostly inside the church. A church that's focused on the city, they pray on location in the community, neighborhoods and schools and wherever. A church that's focused on itself, the prayer is about their people. But the church that's focused on the city, the prayer, they pray for those outside the church, the city officials, the human services, agency leaders, teachers, whatever. 
A church that's focused on itself, prayer for myself. People are praying for themselves, their happiness, security, and health. Whereas the church that's focused on the city, prayer for people in need. A church that's focused on itself, prayer for God to change them. There's a them and us mentality. Whereas the church that's focused on the city, prayer for God to change me. A church focused on itself, prays for the lost. There's a church that's focused on the city, prayer for and engagement with three people who don't know Christ. They're very specific because they know the people. A church that's focused on itself, prays for its finances. There's a church that's focused on the city, prayer for money to be freed up to help others. A church that's focused on itself, prayer for people to come to church. A church that's focused on the city prayer for people to be sent out from our church. A church that's focused on itself prayer for success of our church. Whereas the church is a church that's focused on the city prayer for expansion of God's kingdom. A church that's focused on itself people who pray. Whereas the church that's focused on the city people of prayer. Do you see the difference? Engage in the city in which we currently live by putting roots down and praying for it. But there's a third point. Seek the welfare of the city. And that's in verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. For in its welfare you will find your Welfare. You see, the Hebrew word that's translated welfare is actually shalom, which is a traditional Hebrew greeting. Most of the time, you know, it's translated as peace, but it's really not well beyond peace. It's about, means wholeness, soundness, completeness. In other words, God is saying to the Israelites, make the city in which you currently live whole again, sound again, complete again. That's what God is asking them to do. Furthermore, the other Hebrew word translated seek captures a progression of steps to do that. For example, the work that the seek could have been trying, it captures the idea of investigate or find out what the city needs to become whole again, sound again, and complete again. So do the research, do the investigation, find out what the issues are in the city. And second, do whatever it takes to get it there. Those are the two ideas that are captured in the world seek. So here's the question. Do we know what needs of the city you currently live in and its people have? Do you know that? The needs of the city and its people? Have you ever thought about that? You see, here again, the men's group that I meet with, one of the exercises is actually this. The homework exercise was, make a list of at least five different needs of individuals or groups where you live, work, and play. So we had to investigate and find out. We had to get to know. Then secondly, we had to journal about why those issues actually concern us. And then we had to ask, what, how would Jesus respond to those needs? 
And then we had to ask ourselves, what gifts, abilities, and experiences, and resources that I have to be able to address those needs? That was a homework exercise for several weeks. So for those several weeks, we committed ourselves to praying for these kinds of things, needs that we have identified. So my dear brothers and sisters at Middle of Free, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35, we read this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. As followers of Christ, we are called to do the same. Go into the city that we currently live in and share the good news of the gospel with word and deed. Word means verbalizing the gospel and deed is demonstrating the gospel with our actions. Because at the end of the day, the gospel needs to be part of it to restore wholeness, completeness, soundness. And in so doing, our call really is leave the place better than you found it. Leave Midland better than when you found it. Leave Bay City better than you found it. Leave Auburn, Freeland, Mount Pleasant, whatever, better than you found it. Because one day we are all going to leave. Right? Definitely death will make us leave from this place. That's why I said one day we are all going to leave. Therefore, engage in the city in which that God has placed you. Pray for it. Seek its welfare in such a way that Christ is honored and lifted up and that you and I will be able to leave this place better than we found it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess I confess that I have not done some of the things that I preached here today. So help me in such a way that I would be engaged in the city in which that you have placed me and my family. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters who are sitting here. Give them a passion, a heart, a desire to engage in the cities in which they currently live. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.